you have questions? Do you need answers? The Pastor Study will help you find those answers through God's Word. Our teacher today is Pastor Tom Brock. The Pastor Study is sponsored by pastorstudy.org. So grab your Bible and join us for The Pastor Study. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. We're doing a series on the parables, and normally we'll pick one story Jesus told, and that'll be the half hour. But on this show, we're going to do four mini parables. They're all very short. So let's tell four stories Jesus told and learn all we can. Would you take out your Bible, turn with us in the New Testament to Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to learn about the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the leaven, the parable of the hidden treasure, and the parable of the great pearl. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, we pray now as we study the words of Jesus and these four stories that you will deal with our hearts, Lord. Whatever we need to hear from these stories, Lord, may they grab our hearts. And Lord, by your Holy Spirit, deal with us and speak to us. We ask it in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Jesus is telling stories, four short stories. Here we go. Matthew chapter 13, <coughs> verse 31. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Let's stop there. What does the phrase kingdom of heaven mean? When you pray the Lord's Prayer, Our Father in heaven, thy kingdom come, what do we pray for when we're praying, thy kingdom come? What's the kingdom of heaven? Well, you know, it has two different meanings. The first meaning is present tense, the church. Lord, may your kingdom come. May you send the missionaries out there. May many people come to saving faith in Christ. May your church become huge. And the second thing you're praying, and this is probably what you normally think of, you're praying for the second coming of Christ, thy kingdom come. May Jesus come down in the clouds, end the world, raise the dead, and bring in heaven and, and the, new, the new kingdom. So um, when you pray the Lord's Prayer to thy kingdom come, you're praying for both. Present tense come through the church, and future tense come at the second coming of Christ. Which is it in the parable of the mustard seed we're about to read? Well, we're going to see it's, it's tense number one, present tense, may your kingdom spread. So let's look at it. Matthew 13, verse 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is the smaller than all other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Now, Jesus often would tell a parable and then later privately explain the meaning of it to the disciples. The problem with the parable of the mustard seed, he never explained it, so we're left to guess what it means, which is why I encourage you, buy three or four Bible commentaries. Buy it, the ESV Study Bible. You know, make sure that you're not trying to interpret the Bible all by yourself. Get the history of the ages with good, good scholars. And what do most scholars say this means? Most scholars will tell you 
the meaning of the parable of the mustard seed is this. The tiny church will become huge. The mustard seed, the little church. When Jesus died, there were about 11 men and a few others that believed in him. But this little tiny seed is going to become the largest religion in the history of the world. And you know that we are. Christianity is bigger than any other religion. Islam is number two, but we're number one. And Jesus' point is the church is going to ta start out as this tiny seed, but it's going to become huge. So, Christians... Beware of little Christian groups that think they're the only Christians on earth. Um, unless you're totally immersed as an adult, you're not saved. Or unless you speak in tongues like we speak in tongues in our Christian group, you're not saved. Or unless, you know, or unless you're a Roman Catholic, you're not saved. <laughs> I had a Roman Catholic priest on my radio show. And he said, if you are a Roman Catholic and you leave the Catholic Church and you really know what you're doing and you become a Lutheran, if you really leave the Catholic Church knowing the distinctives and you consciously become a Protestant, you're going to hell. And I said to him on the radio show, wait a minute. <laughs> so let's say I leave the Catholic Church and I become a, a Presbyterian, but I still believe Jesus is my only hope. He died on the cross, rose from the dead. I'm trusting Christ alone for my salvation. I'm still going to hell now because I'm not a Roman Catholic. And the priest said, yep. <laughs> not, all, not all Roman Catholic priests are like that, but this guy was. And my point to you is, beware of any little Christian or big Christian group that thinks they're the only saved people on earth. My belief is there are true Christians in every denomination, and there are false Christians in every denomination. We have a radio show, and I keep getting these emails from this Protestant pastor, and you get the impression, and he's got a tiny church, you get the impression that he and his little church are the only true Christians on earth. And I wrote him back and I said, Jesus didn't say the, the little seed would become a tiny bush. He said it would become a huge bush. And yes, Jesus does say the way is narrow that leads to life, but he's not as narrow as you think it is because it does say in, in Revelation chapter 7 that there'll be so many people dressed in white, so many Christians in heaven, that man cannot number them. So beware of Christians who think their group is the only group. There's a joke. Somebody dies and goes to heaven. St. Peter says, let me show you around heaven. And he takes the person in and here's these people worshiping very formally and these would be the Episcopalians. And he takes, a, here's another group and they're jumping up and down. These would be the Pentecostals. And he takes another group and, they're, uh, and these would be the uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Church of the Nazarene. And then St. Peter says, now be quiet. And he walks this guy up 40 flights of stairs. And here's another group worshiping way upstairs. And St. Peter says, shh, these are the Southern Baptists. They think they're the only ones here. <laughs> I'm not picking on Baptists. I love the Baptists. But my point is, beware of any group that thinks they're the only Christians on earth. Jesus said that the, the tree will become huge. Um, but, you know, one more thing about the mustard seed. I think that's the meaning of it. Now, there's a, I think you can also hope, you know, I don't think this is what Jesus meant, but I think it's true. One little thing you say can become huge. When my mom was on her deathbed, I said to mom, Mom, you don't remember this, but when I was five years old, I couldn't sleep. So I came out into the living room, and I was crying, and you and Dad were watching TV. And I said, Mom, I can't sleep. And you said... Just think of Jesus, and you'll go to sleep. 
So I went back in my bed, and the only thing I knew about Jesus when I was five were two songs. Jesus loves me, this I know, and Jesus loves the little children. And so I sang those two songs over and over in my head till I went to sleep. You know, I did that for the next six or seven years of my life. Every night I went to bed, I would sing those. And I said to my mom, I think that did something to me. <laughs> so one little thing you do can have a huge impact. That's the parable of the mustard seed. Let's look at the next parable, the parable of the leaven, as in dough, leavening and spreading. Look at verse 33. Jesus spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in, hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. And now again, this is one of the few parables that Jesus never explained, so we're... we're We've got to guess what it means, but most of the scholars are agreed. Here's what it means. The kingdom of God spreads like leaven. You know, people ask the question, should I have my Christian child in a public school where they're going to be perhaps ridiculed and my Christian values will be degraded by the teachers? Well, that's a good question. I, I, you know, the, other, the opposite is true. Not only is the kingdom powerful and spreads, evil is powerful and spreads. So, I mean, w one dad told me that his kid's in a public school and he had to call the principal because the lesbian principal of this grade school in Minneapolis was promoting lesbianism to the grade school kids. But you know what the dad is doing? He's standing up and he's fighting the principal. God bless him. We need leaven in the public schools. You know, maybe you should take your child out of a public school and put him in a Christian school. That may be fine. Kind of depends on your kid. On the other hand, maybe God wants your child in public school to be a missionary and to be a leaven to that public school. I, I, let me tell you an example of this. We, here, here's a young woman, teenager, that uh, was from our church. She's standing next to her locker talking to her friend about Jesus. Another student walks by and hears this and says to her, shut up about that. This is school. You shouldn't bring your religion into our school. She thought he was kidding. This is America, after all. This wasn't class. This is, they were standing in the hall. So she kept talking to her friend about Jesus. He took her fist and he slugged her and he, he knocked her to the ground. Well, she got up. The next day, the guy that hit her came back and did apologize to her. She started sharing Jesus with this guy. She started bringing him to church. And now he's a Christian. That is called the kingdom being 11. It spreads. Let me give you a personal example. My first year in college, I was pretty liberal. And I didn't know if I believed in hell because I didn't think it was fair. So I joined a Bible study. They were Baptist-type people in my, in my uh, little Bible study. And they all believed in hell. And they kept urging me through the year, Tom, you believe what the Bible says, whether you understand it or whether you like it or not. You know, by the end of that year, their leaven had gotten to me, and I became an evangelical Christian at the end of that year because God uses leaven. He uses the kingdom. Next parable is called the parable of the hidden treasure. Look down at verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, and again he hid it, and from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Here's the main lesson of the parable of the hidden treasure. Do whatever to get the kingdom. 
And why is the kingdom of God so precious that you do whatever to get it? Look at verse 41. Look back at verse 41. The Son of Man will send forth his angels at the end of time. They will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. He will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the opposite of the kingdom, but here's the kingdom. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The reason that we see the kingdom as our greatest pleasure is because it brings joy. It brings eternal joy. The reason you do whatever to get the kingdom is because in this life and the next, it's the biggest joy on the planet. Somebody told me that they were sitting next to a pretty fashion model on the airplane. This was many years ago when you could smoke on the airplane. And, the, and sh she noticed that the model took her cigarette and put it out in her dessert so she couldn't eat the dessert. In other words, she had a higher goal. She wanted to be pretty and slim, so she, she killed things. Christian, do whatever you have to to get the kingdom. We've got the kingdom, and, it, it, and the kingdom is a joy. Um, you, you know, you notice, look at verse 44 again. It says, uh, and from joy he goes and sells all that he has. He didn't say, oh, no, I have to sell things to get this. He thought, nothing's going to keep me from getting this. The kingdom's a joy. You know, I can remember... Years ago at Bible camp, talking to these 13-year-olds in a circle about that you can know you're saved because Jesus died for your sins. It's by grace, not by good works, and therefore your sins are free. I saw these 13-year-olds get so excited, and that's what the gospel is. When you discover Jesus, it's everything. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, I, I did a funeral yesterday. Now and then you get asked to do a funeral for someone you don't know them at all. I didn't know this person at all. Did the best I could to do the funeral. I don't know if this person knew Christ or didn't know Christ. I had no idea. So it wasn't the happiest funeral I've ever been at. But on the other hand, I've been to some funerals where the joy is bouncing off the walls because Grandma's finally out of pain in heaven. And, and, and we've got a joy that nobody else has. Um, let me explain this. Uh, look, it's the same parable. It's a different parable, but it's the same point. Next is the parable of the great pearl. Same point, but look at verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who is seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Here's the main lesson of the parable of the pearl. The kingdom is the greatest pearl. You know, the world is offering you rhinestones. It might look pretty, but they're nothing. Christians were the ones that have the pearl. I mean, uh, let me explain something called Christian hedonism. Yesterday, I listened to a sermon by Pastor John Piper of Bethlehem Baptist Church in downtown Minneapolis. Follow this. Hedonism is the love of pleasure. When you think of hedonism, you normally think of people like the people on MTV or Hugh Hefner or these people. But John Piper made the point, no, no, no. The biggest hedonists on earth, the biggest lovers of pleasure on earth are the Christians because we go for the biggest pearl. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, knowing the true God, having meaning and purpose in life and in the next life. He says, if you really want pleasure, if you really want to be the hedonist on the planet, you follow Jesus. <laughs> now, that's a good point. Um, you know, I tell you, um, I saw a funny commercial. You remember this commercial years ago, the Swedish bikini team commercials? And here's, here's some guys floating on the river in, in their inner tubes, drinking beer. 
And one guy said to another, it doesn't get any better than this, does it? And the other guy says, no, it doesn't. And then around the corner on rafts come the Swedish bikini team. <laughs> and he looks to his buddy and says, well, maybe it gets a little better. <laughs> funny commercial, not a good commercial, but a funny commercial. And you know, you think of this, that's all the world can offer. They can offer you beer. They can offer you the Swedish bikini team. But as far as anything of pure joy, lasting worth in this life and the next, the only group that has the pearl is the Christian church. <laughs> the uh, true story, there's a farm boy who got bored. Maybe he had a little too much time on his hands, but the story goes he learned you could take cow manure and make sculptures out of it. So he could take cow manure, shape it perfectly like an apple, paint it white, and then paint it red, and that thing looks just like an apple. But don't bite it. <laughs> and the point is this, Satan can take something really ugly, like alcohol, the sweetest, you know, sexual immorality. You know, you, Satan can take something really ugly and make it look beautiful, but you bite it, and ugh. I mean, that's why I love the baptismal uh, vows you take. When you get baptized, the pastor says, do you renounce the devil and all his empty promises? In other words, sin, the devil will offer you all these promises through sin, but look a little deeper. There's some you-know-what underneath. Don't bite that apple. And you know, the only group that has the pearl is the Christian church. So the point is, sell whatever you have to, you know, don't be deceived by MTV or entertainment tonight. Those people have nothing to offer you. Jesus offers you meaning, purpose in life. He offers you forgiveness of sins. He, I mean, here's a mother whose two-year-old son dies because the car door opened up and he's dead. What is MTV going to offer that woman? Zilch. What is Jesus and the church going to offer? That child's in heaven. Mother, you knew him. He knows you. You'll see him again. Jesus is the... I mean, I'll close with this. The, the main point of all these parables is the joy in life is knowing Jesus. I mean, how happy is Charles Darwin right now? How happy is Madeline Murray O'Hare? How happy is Carl Sagan? They're not the pearl of the universe is Jesus. And I just closed. I love the old hymn. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have mansions untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be held by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today because when the world gives you something, there's something ugly underneath. When Jesus gives you something, it's a pearl. The point of all these many four parables, the mustard seed, the, the leaven, the uh, kingdom, and the pearl and the hidden treasure, the point is there's one huge treasure. Don't miss it. Go for Jesus and forget the world. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of Scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, we've been talking about parables for the last few weeks mm -hmm. here. And, you know, today now there were four parables consecutively that Jesus used to teach. Before this, it's been one parable teaching one thing. Mm -hmm. What is the difference with all four? 
Well, actually, Jackie, what I've been doing is I'll take a parable and I'll just do half an hour on it. But often there's a, it's followed by another parable. The reason we scrunched all these into one show is because they're all very short. Yeah. Okay. And so that, they yeah. all go with the same theme. Yeah, though, they're too. very similar to, I mean, the first. Let's they go, build on each yeah, other. Yeah, they did. The first one was the mustard seed that the kingdom's going to spread. The second one was the leaven that the kingdom's going to spread. Same parable. The third one, the one about the merchant finding the treasure, is that the kingdom's the most important. Is the same as the fourth one, the great pearl. The kingdom's the most important. So I think that's why he put them all together. Okay. Yeah. Then the other question I have for you about parables is it seems that parables, although they're a teaching tool, people interpret them differently. Yes, yes. How does one know whether they're getting the right interpretation? Indeed. You know, when I was at uh, Bethel College, our professor put the parable of the mustard seed before all the students. Because again, Jesus never explained that one. And it's, the parable talks about a little seed that becomes huge. And he sa- the, the, the professor said, okay, everybody tell me what that means. One girl, well, it means that you can do one little loving thing and it'll just have a huge impact. Or uh, it'll, it'll you know, they had like all these different interpretations. And the professor's point was, that's why we study the scriptures with other Christians, with the church from the last 2,000 years, and because some things are hard to understand, let's not go off in a room and try to understand this by ourselves. Again, Jackie, the ESV study Bible is a wonderful study Bible. On the bottom of the page, it gives footnotes to explain the hard verses. Get a couple commentaries. They're well worth your money. Go to a Christian bookstore, get a good conservative uh, Bible commentary, like the Wycliffe Bible commentary, or the New Bible commentary, or normally Tyndale, Zondervan, or the more evangelical Bible studies, Bible commentaries. I can share a funny story about the mustard seed is my grandmother, I was seven years old and was right before she died, not too long before she died. And she gave me the little necklace with a little bulb with water that had the mustard seed in it. And I opened that and from the mind of a seven year old, I thought, what is this? And so it opened up a venue that I could say to my grandma, What's in this? Why, why are you giving this to me? <laughs> and she told me the story of the mustard seed. There you seed. go. Yeah. Okay. We have a couple of questions about some social things that mm-hmm. people would like you to share mm-hmm. um, what Christians should be for them. Should Christians be for or against the death penalty? You know, I used to be more of a pacifist and think we shouldn't kill anybody for any reason. I've changed my mind on that. Uh, the, the Old and New Testament say that if a man kills, he should be killed. Now, not that there can't be exceptions to that, because I think there even were in, in the Old Testament days. But here's a verse from this, Jackie. Romans chapter 13, the Apostle Paul is writing about the government. And he says, the government is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he, the government, does not bear the sword in vain. For he, the government, is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So that verse kind of changed my mind. I believe that if somebody kills 20 people, the government to protect society has the right to get rid of that guy. Well, why not just put him in jail forever? You can do that. Um, But uh, there is something about um, having a strict punishment that helps other people not do the same thing. It's a deterrent. Is an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a Christian thing? Well, you know, that's in the Old Testament, and Jesus repeats it. But then says, I say to you, forgive your enemies and and, uh, turn the other cheek and such. I think 
when it comes to, there's kind of two realms. There's the church realm, the Christian realm, how we live our lives. And then there's the government realm, which is secular. But Paul is, again, I, I would encourage everyone to read Romans 13. Paul was writing about the pagan, horrible Roman government when he said God is using the government to keep order in society. So you don't even need, I mean, even, even an atheistic Red China and even atheistic Russia would still not let people kill each other or steal or, you know, there were still, so even pagan governments God uses to keep order in society. So was the government right in killing Osama bin Laden? Um, I think we had the right to do that, you know. How many more people are going to be killed? And, you know, I don't rejoice over the death of anyone, but I do rejoice that here's one less man to blow people up. Okay. Yeah. Another one that we've had some questions about is where does the Bible teach abortion is wrong? Okay. If somebody, where does it say in the Bible abortion is wrong? I would say there's two places. The first one is the fifth commandment, thou shalt not kill. And then you would also read Psalm 139 where it talks about God is knitting this child together in its mother's womb, fearfully and wonderfully made. So I think most strongly uh, Psalm 139 and the fifth commandment. Okay. And then I guess since we're talking about the Bible as our basis, mm -hmm. do you believe that everything in the Bible is literal, literally true, or how are we supposed to deal well, with that? Well, for instance, um, you know, I'm a conservative. Even the most conservative Christian doesn't think everything in the Bible is literally true. I'll give you an example. We just did the mustard seed parable. That's what I was just going to Jesus said the <laughs> mustard seeds are the smallest of the seeds. Well, actually, there are smaller seeds than the mustard seed. But in Jesus, the people that knew, I mean, for Jesus' time, the smallest seed was the mustard seed. And, and sometimes, Jackie, the Bible uses language which is metaphorical. Uh, the, 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 the parables are not to be pressed as literal. I mean, was there really a woman that took some meal and hid it? In the, I mean, the parables are, are metaphorical. So uh, overwhelmingly, we take the Bible literally. And the way I say it is, here's what I, I'm nervous about, though, because, Jackie, I have a relative, and whenever I confront her on something scripturally, well, you take the Bible literally. And I'm thinking, okay, anything in the Bible you don't like, you symbolize away. <laughs> well, you, you know, and, and so you've got to be careful of that. So I say this. You read the Bible like you read the newspaper. 95% of what you read in the newspaper is literal. But now and then you'll, you'll have a poem in there, and you know that you're not to take it literally. Or somebody will use a figure of speech. But overwhelmingly, when you read the newspaper, you know when it's being literal, you know when it's being figurative. I think you can do the same thing with the Bible. In the Old Testament, when Isaiah says the trees will clap their hands and the mountains will shout for joy, well, it's obvious he's using you know, some metaphorical language going on there. But when it says Jesus walked on the water, it meant he walked on the water. <laughs> okay. Pastor Brock, I want to correct something that was said on last week's program. We were talking about your radio program, mm -hmm. which if you're in the Twin Cities area, you get on Saturdays from 11 to 1, and that's a live call-in show. What Tom said is it is also on Sundays. It's repeated on Sundays, but it is not a live call-in show. Three to five. It's 3 to 5, yep. 980 AM. Yep. Thanks for being with us. We pray God will be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings until we're together again next time. Thank you for tuning into the Pastor Study. We ask, would you pray for our ministry as we seek to spread the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ? And would you pray about supporting this ministry?
Our address is The Pastor Study, 5200 Emerson Avenue North, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55430. Our website is pastorstudy.org. And our phone number is 763-260-4484. May God richly bless you and join us next week at the same time as we study God's Word. Until then, may the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you.